Praise the Lord. Thank the Lord for his goodness and his mercy towards us. The blood that's running through our veins, the breath in our lungs. For keeping us through another week, sustaining us and helping us, reminding us that he saved us. And he's also given us a family that we could daily be reminded that if it had not been for the Lord on our side, where would we be? Um, this morning we'll be in uh, Psalms 68, uh, verses 1 through 5. Psalm 68, verses 1 through 5. Gonna do it old school. When you got it, say amen. It sound like most of us are there, so I'm going to go ahead and read it. I'll be uh, reading from the uh, New Living Translation, so it might sound a little bit different um, for those who might have the Christian standard. And the text says this. Rise up, O God, and scatter your enemies. Let those who hate God Run for their lives. Blow them away like smoke. Melt them like wax in fire. Let the wicked perish in the presence of God. But let the godly rejoice. Let them be glad in God's presence. Let them be filled with joy. Sing praises to God into his name. Sing loud praises to him who rides the clouds. His name is the Lord. Rejoice in his presence. Father to the fatherless, defender of widows, this is God whose dwelling is holy. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are good and your mercy endures forever. In this moment, Lord Jesus, with you through your word as you have through worship and through fellowship, would you soften our hearts? Would you help us to give you access and authority to every area of our lives? Would you fill us with your presence and your spirit? And Father, would you help me make it my aim, my goal, my desire to please you and you alone in this precious moment? Lord, I pray that in my weakness you would show your strength. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. It has been said that clean hands 
can save lives. In his book called Better, Atul Gawande, he reflects on how in the medical field, neglecting the most important thing can lead to severe consequence. One quote from this book, it says that each year, according to the U.S. Centers for Disease Control, two million Americans acquire an infection while they're in the hospital. 90,000 die of that infection. Hardest part of the infection control team's job is not coping with the variety of contagions they encounter or the panic that sometimes occurs among patients and staff. Instead, their greatest difficulty is getting clinicians like me to do the one thing that consistently halts the spread of infections, washing our hands. Text says that according to statistics, studies show that doctors and nurses wash their hands one third to one half as often as they are supposed to. This book talks about the links that medical staffs go, the incentives they put in place to make sure that those who are called to care for the sick do not spread germs that lead to more infection. In a way, clean hands can save lives. This is a relevant lesson for us this morning because just as medical staffs must clean their hands in order to prevent infection, for the Christian to pursue holiness in order to prevent disease from flowing throughout the community. We must pursue holiness in order to prevent disease from flowing and affecting and causing infection in our communities. That's a word we don't use no more, holiness. We don't like the word holy. When was the last time you asked somebody, how could I pray for you? And they said, ask the Lord to make me more holy. Maybe there's a confusion around the word, a negative connotation that comes with the word, or maybe it's we simply don't feel like it is important when it comes to our faith practice. But as we see in our culture today, as we see in our churches, there's an infection. There's a type of disillusionment within culture and community in relation to the church. It could be said that some folks are experiencing a disorientation because our hands have not been clean. You can go on and look at different documentaries and read different news outlets and you see scandal and abuse in the church because our hands are not clean. There's an idol of politics, a love of money, which is the root of all kinds of evil because our hands are not clean. And for some, this frustration, this wrestle in and outside of the church is not because of the standard of holiness, but the presence of unrepentant hypocrisy. This place 
that God has established in the world, this place that God has created to be a place of healing for the broken, in some circles has been a safe place for infection to grow. Clean hands can save lives. And today we have a word from the Lord, a vision of a holy God that is free from hypocrisy, a God who is holy that is free from sin, a God who is not like man that he cannot lie, who through his salvific work gives us a vision of how holy he is and also what it means for us to do holy work in his name. And here's our main reflection for our time today, and it is this, as we talk about and think about what it means for God to be holy, for us to walk in holiness, we must understand that God's holiness separates him from us while making space to abide with us. This psalm is an image of a divine warrior who drives out his enemies in order to deliver his people from oppression so that they can praise him for the good towards them. And they are moving forward throughout the wilderness. They're moving forward with confidence that the God who has delivered them in the past is the God who will deliver them in the present and the God who will and can deliver them in the future from their enemies because he is holy. We see in the first few verses of this passage that God's holy presence drives out evil. To be in the presence of a holy God means sin and evil have to cease. Being in the presence of a holy God means that evil must be removed so that salvation is established. We see in the first few verses of this psalm, the psalmist David, he tells us what happens when God moves his weight around in the world, when God establishes his presence in the world. We see that enemies scatter. Enemies flee, they run, they retreat. These enemies are not just hostile towards God's people, but they oppress God's people because they hate God. These are not just people who tell us the truth and we don't like it and we call them enemies. These are not people who correct us when we're wrong and we claim that they're hating on us because they're telling us to do something we don't want to do. No, these are enemies of God, hostile to a holy God. Notice the language of the text that these are those who actively oppose God's presence, his ways. These are those who have burner accounts and who are secretly and silently disregarding and attacking God's character, but they run from him. We see the language of God's presence being moved forward and enemies retreating. We see when God's holy power is displayed, sin must be 
removed. When Adam and Eve rebel in the garden against God's good word for them, they are driven out of the garden. When the nation of Israel rebels against the word of the prophets, they are driven out of the promised land. This God with holy power who is free from sin and evil, in order for this God to be celebrated and experienced, sin must be eradicated. In the work of fumigation, it's when someone, a trained professional, he seals or she seals a space and introduces a powerful substance in this space and that powerful substance, it spreads throughout that area. It penetrates the cracks and the crevices of that area in order to identify something that may be harmful in that place. This process is successful when the space is declared safe for people to abide in it. This substance that's expressed in this, it purifies a space and it drives out anything that may be a threat to the health of those who live and abide in that space. Church, when God shows up, when God shows himself, he drives out evil in order to make sure his people are safe. He drives out sin so that his people would find safety in his presence. The text teaches us something about the presence of a holy God with holy power. God's holiness is his freedom. He is free from sin. He is free from wickedness. He's free from sinful intention and motive. He's free to do whatever he wants to do, and whatever he wants to do is always good for us. Some of us may struggle with this language, God displacing his enemies, God driving his enemies from a specific place, them running, them being melted away, them being like smoke driven and blown away by God's presence. We hear the language and think about those who hate God are still made in God's image and would question or critique how God's power works out in judgment. For those who ask that question, there may be a struggle of seeing the God of the Old Testament and saying he's built different than the God in the New. God in the Old Testament looks like a God of wrath and rage and justice and vengeance, and there's this idea that the God of the New Testament is filled with love and mercy. But I would want to encourage you this morning to reconsider not only the words of the psalmist, but the context that this praise emerges from. These are a oppressed people who have a history of being physically abused, tormented by an evil empire for 400 years, a people who've experienced genocide at the hands of an evil king who was drunk with power. These people understand and experience this holy God with holy power, and they interpret his acts of judgment as acts of liberation. Brian Blount, he says it like this, reflecting on God's justice in the book of Revelation, 
he interprets God's holy power through the lens of the African-American experience in America. For the slave who has endured inhumane and undeserved suffering and evil at the hands of of an evil empire. And he says this, for the slave, it is not a matter of violence, but of justice. That a just God had to act act at by any means necessary to annihilate slavery. And maybe for some, this language of a holy God who uses his holy power to drive out evil and destroy and cause the wicked to perish, it bothers us. Not because God is not holy, not because God is not good, but we receive this word from a place of privilege and not from the lens of the oppressed. But let's look at the distinction we see in the text. The enemies retreat, but the godly rejoice. The enemies run, but the godly praise God for his presence. They're singing and dancing going on in God's house. There's a praise and a worship. There's a clapping of the hands and a stomping of the feet, not because they rejoice in the judgment Not because they rejoice in the pain of their enemies, but they rejoice because God is present with them. And when God is present, all evil done against them must be judged. All evil done against them must cease. God drives out his enemies in order to deliver his people from evil. This is important for us to learn and to celebrate. We will learn to appreciate God's holiness as we see it in his power when we truly understand our salvation. This this salvation is not just a personal reality that secures our eternal destination. No, salvation is a change of location. Whether Israelites were delivered from the physical location of bondage in Egypt, we as Christians, those who abide in God's presence through faith in his son, have been delivered from the spiritual bondage from Satan and sin. That God has delivered a oppressed people from the domain of sin and transferred them into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Church, family, we must be reminded of what sin has done to us, what sin has done to our communities, what sin does to our hearts, what sin has done to our minds, how it enslaves us, how it strips us from dignity, how it oppresses our hearts and our souls, how it robs us from the life that God has created for us to live. And when we see what God has done to bring us out of darkness into his marvelous light, we will join the saints in this text and rejoice in the presence of God, that we would also say, bless the Lord, all my soul, and all that is within me, we will bless his holy name because we know the weight of sin. We know how we've been oppressed and suppressed by sin, but we had one who was stronger than sin that came into this world and he destroyed the works of the devil on our behalf so that we would find liberation in his name. We will join those in this text, who are rejoicing, who are glad, who find their joy in God's presence when we recognize what God has done and what God has delivered us 
us from, that he's broken that yoke of bondage that kept us enslaved and oppressed and removed from the presence of God that he desired for us to enjoy. Peter, he speaks of this reality when he's proclaiming the word to the Gentiles in Acts 10, verses 38. He says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were what? Oppressed by the devil. Because God was with him. We see God's holy power being expressed and demonstrated in the world on the behalf of those who've been oppressed and suppressed by the domain of evil and sin. God drives out evil because evil cannot and will not exist in the presence of God. And those that love him rejoice in his presence because they know that when he is present, deliverance is also available. We see God's holy power that God is separated from sin. That God is set apart from sin. We see his holy presence and then we also see God's, we see his holy power and we also see his holy presence that it draws near to the oppressed. This is where our ideas and our reflections around Holiness must be shaped when we come to the scriptures. God is set apart from sin, but that does not mean that he is separated from the human condition. Verses 4 and 5, we see this God who we are to sing and to worship. We see his name is the Lord. His name is Yahweh. This is his covenantal name, and we rejoice in his presence, and we see as we rejoice in his presence, God then shows us where he is present in the world. This text, it stretches our understanding of being in the presence of God. To know his holy presence. To know that God is holy. To dwell with God has something to do with abiding. Not only creating distance, but sharing a space. This text, as we see in verse 5, that God, he is a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows. And in that place, his name is holy. This disrupts our cultural understanding of holiness because oftentimes when we think about holiness, we think about being holy by comparison to somebody else. We've thought of holiness as abstaining from the world, which means that we are exempt from engaging with the world. But in his holy dwelling, God in his holiness is untainted by the world, but he reveals himself as a father who's fully engaged in the world. His name is Holy, he rides on the clouds. This imagery, it shows God's complete authority over creation and in his, in, uh, and among his enemies. But as he comes down on the clouds, he shows his compassion with those who are oppressed. This God of holy 
power when he shows up in the earth. He does not show up in the kingdoms. He does not show up in the palace. He does not show up on a throne. He shows up in the trenches with those who have been excluded in society. Yahweh, as one commentator would say, Yahweh comes to earth to act there as one who cares for the vulnerable people such as orphans and widows. This combination of the two terms suggests that the orphans are the young people who have lost their father. The widow is their mother. And through, the, and through losing the male head of the family in this context, in this culture, they have lost their security and their place in community. We have to sit with the weight, the gravity of this text, that those who do not have this essential God-ordained relationship, whether through death or desertion, find themselves at the margins of society and candidates for exploitation. But what do we learn in this moment? What do we learn in this situation about our holy God? What can we learn about a holy God in this crisis? It seems based on verse 5, it seems to me that something about God's holy presence is revealed in the worst of human conditions. His power drives out wickedness and sin, and his holy presence is seen among the fatherless and the widow. When God is present, he exercises his justice, his power, his presence on the behalf of those in the margins. This act, this practice of justice is interesting because he is a father to the fatherless, a judge or a protector of the widows, and he displays his presence in justice in the context of a family. Injustice is being deprived of relationships which could lead to a lack of resources and being disregarded within a community. This is important for us to even reflect in our political moment, in our social moment, because we cannot talk about justice without addressing the family. But we also cannot pursue justice without working against the systems that oppose the flourishing of the family. Being in God's holy presence, where God is, is not where we obtain power, but when we dwell and abide with the powerless as an expression of our allegiance to a holy God, a God who is separated from sin but a God who shows up in Christ and he eats with sinners. Being in God's holy presence, it is to know him as a father. And to know him as a father demands for us to abide with those who do not have what God designed for them to have in order to encourage and help and promote their flourishing and their protection. We often ask the question, where is God in the world, what is God doing? What is God calling us to? We see that God is present with those who are experiencing absence in relationship. We often think of God's presence, being in his presence through corporate worship, private devotion and prayer, even in small group and Bible study settings. Even in this morning, we have celebrated and we have 
worshiped by God for his goodness and his grace towards us, and it is beautiful, and the Spirit is moving throughout this room. This is true and necessary for us to understand what it means to abide in his presence. But the question of the text, it expands our understanding of what it means to be in the presence of a holy God. When we think about our call to be holy as God is holy, are we thinking about what or who we should avoid or where we should dwell? Do we always or do we only ask the question, what is God calling me to do? Or are we asking the question, where is God and who is he calling me to share life with? What does this mean for our understanding of God and our engagement in the world that God is separated from sin? He's free from sin, but when he shows up in the world, he abides in the lowest places. According to the text, this may mean that in order for us to understand and experience God's presence in a specific way, that means that we sit and dwell with those who are discarded and disregarded in our world. To experience his holy presence may mean for us to sit and dwell and abide in hard places. An ambassador is a official representative who's in appointed by one country to serve in another. And this ambassador's primary role is to represent and to protect the interests the interest of those in their home country and a host country. An ambassador must know the priorities of home and the needs in that host country. And those in that host country, they may not ever see the ambassador's king or the ambassador's president, but those in the host country they know the intentions and the policies and the motives and the de desires of the king or president based on the presence of the representative. I want to tell us this morning, Cornerstone, as we think about our community, as we think about our family, those in our community may not read the Bible, but they will read us. They may, in some ways, interpret God as a father. Their interpretation of God as a father is not determined but it can be influenced, not by our theology, not by our faith commitments, not by what we say, not our ability to answer their questions, not by this nice building, not by the size of the church, but by our presence. One of my favorite theologians, he said it like this, the church is the extension of the incarnation, that God is a father to the fatherless, God in all of his power, he abides with those who have no power as an expression of his love and his kindness towards them. God is a father to the fatherless and a defender of, wid of widows. And that tells us, that helps us think about what it means to image a holy God. Holiness is, for some of us, it just has meant that we are detached from the world, that we don't drink, we don't smoke, we don't go here, we don't go there, but this expands our understanding of what it means for God to be holy and for us to participate in his holiness. Holiness for us is being fully detached from the ways of the world while being fully involved in the reconciled, reconciled work that God is calling in the world. 
the ways of the world, yes, we are called to detach ourselves, to be set apart, to yield ourselves fully to God. The world is this system of customs and beliefs and attitudes and behaviors that oppose the will of God, that resist God's kingdom in the world. Yes, we are called to detach ourselves from those things, to avoid the appearance of evil, to not conform to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. But that does not mean that we are not fully involved in the reconciling work of God through the gospel by the power of his spirit. That here we find a renewed sense of holiness. This is a beautiful vision of what holiness is in relation to God and how God has called us as a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, who've been called out of the world in order to join God in engaging with the world around us by practicing his presence by the Spirit for those and with those who may have been disregarded and discarded in society. We see God is free from evil. God is free from evil, but in some way he shows himself all-powerful through his presence with those who have no power. We ourselves, we have never seen God the Father, but we do see Jesus. Jesus is holy and human. He is sinless, but he sits with sinners. He is free and touched by sin, but yet he lives a life under the weight that the conditions of sin produce. Surrounded by death and temptation and hunger and neglect and abandonment and evil, he reveals the Father to us in his holy dwelling, abiding with the powerless to express God's kingdom and rule in the world. He is holy and human. And when he comes, he becomes like the fatherless. Because he's abandoned by the father through judgment because of our sin. And like the widow he becomes because he's stripped from protection in society. And even as he is holy in his humanity, he gives up his life. And he dies outside of the holy place. He dies outside of Jerusalem. To die outside of the city is to die in the place where need is exploited, where death is happening, where bodies are discarded as nothing and worthless, where agency is compromised to be exposed as disregarded and uncared for and worthless in the world. He sits, he dies outside of the kingdom, outside of the city. But the beautiful message, the beautiful truth in this reality is he is driven out as if he was unclean, impure, unholy. He dies outside of the city, bearing the disgrace and the shame of death and sin. And the gospel in that is that God the Father is set apart from sin, and yet he creates a space to be with us through Christ. That Jesus is separated from the Father for a moment to ensure that God dwells with us always that there is no human situation that can drive us away from God's holy presence 
because Jesus was excluded to ensure that all who would come to him may abide in his presence forever. He died outside of the kingdom to invite us into the kingdom. He died outside with shame so that we could receive the fullness of God's presence. He died outside of the kingdom so that we would experience God's power and his provision through the power of his spirit. He dies outside so that we would be included and we would experience God in his holy dwelling. Not as those who are judged in his wrath, but those who are accepted into his family because of what Christ has done for us. This reminds us, church, that holiness is about us being changed into the likeness of Jesus. Being holy means to be conformed into the image of Christ, but being holy is also about belonging. Belonging to God, abiding in his presence, in the life that he's called us to, to yield ourselves fully in service to God through his spirit, that we belong to Jesus. We bear the shame and disregard of those on the margins of society as an expression of our allegiance, not to the kingdoms of this world, not to any type of political rule or reign, but to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And as we abide with the one we belong to, that has called us into his marvelous presence, who called us into his eternal kingdom, we disregard the ways that we function and exercise power in this world to be witnesses that God is holy and righteous and in his holy dwelling, he dwells and abides with those who don't have power in the world. Yes, this calls us for our minds to be renewed, our behaviors to be conformed through spirit-filled confession and obedience, but it also means that we have the opportunity to invite those who have no power to experience the power and the presence of God through our presence with them by his spirit. God has called us to be ye holy, for he is holy. What does this look like for us as a church to be an extension of the incarnation that God in his holy presence, his holy dwelling, he abides, he dwells, he inhabits the relationships and he abides with those who have no power in society. What does it look like for us to grow and to walk and to understand and grow in a deeper awareness of God's holy power and also experience his holy presence in our reality? First, this comes through practicing confession. Some of us today may not be experiencing the holy power or presence of a holy God because we are still living in the presence of unrepentant sin. We may be confused or disoriented around why we feel like God is withholding his presence from us when the reality might be that we're still holding on to some sin that God cannot be present with. It may be that some of us are not enjoying God's presence, not because we're not coming to church, not because we're not listening to worship music. Some of us are not enjoying God's holy presence because we're not abiding in the presence of those he abides with. The text says he, ab he abides with those who have 
no power to marginalize the oppressed to express his loving kindness towards them. He is a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, one who is separated from sin while being fully involved with transforming the world for his glory. And some of us hear this, we also must confess, and we need to be careful that many of us see the needs of those around us, and we think our presence is the solution to, the, to every world's problem. I have to remind us and encourage us today, church, we don't play God, we serve God. We cannot approach people as objects of a mission, but rather people we share space with in order to give ourselves to while also learning something about God through relationship with them. Allowing God to use them to teach us something about the image of God as we offer what God has provided for us to bless them and reveal who God is in the world. We've sung songs and we continue to sing, sing songs about being where God is. Wanting more of God in this passage tells us the place where he is in the world. Abiding with those who've been deprived of relationship, who lack some type of security. And this engagement is not a badge of honor for the Christian. It is a humble opportunity to abide in God's presence and dwell where he dwells. We see this is an opportunity for us to confess the ways that we have held on to power rather than giving up power in order for others to be blessed. First, we see we must practice confession in relation to God being holy because in Leviticus 10, God reminds Moses and Aaron that anyone who would come near God must regard him as holy. We grow in holiness. We learn what holiness looks like through practicing confession, but also building community. This is an opportunity, a demand, a challenge, a discipline for us to commit ourselves to as we think about a God who is uniquely different from us, set apart from us, free from unrighteousness and hypocrisy free from suspicion, free from distorted motives and desires. He is uniquely different, but through Christ, he is not distant. One who has come to us and he's not distant from us when we place our faith in his son. Our gospel work does not start with strategy and different things and different meetings. It starts with us being present where God is present. Our gospel work must serve the purpose of inviting people into the presence of Jesus through being an extension of the incarnation. That God has given us his presence through the spirit and everywhere we go, Jesus goes with us. It is a call for us to be fully detached from the ways of the world, the customs of the world, the attitudes of the world that disregard God as holy and powerful and present while being fully involved in the work that God is doing in the world by being present with the people he's called us to. Here in the West End, here's the opportunity, this is the encouragement for us to learn to practice God's presence. Where our work, this work is not about opportunities or strategies we need to create or systems we need to develop. 
God is already provided. God is already working in the world, and we need to pay attention to what he's doing and be sensitive to the Spirit so that we can participate and experience his presence through the service he's called us to. And minister justice is an opportunity in our church to practice God's presence. The relationship we have at Herman J. Russell is an opportunity for us to practice God's presence. Then groups are an opportunity to, for us to figure out what hospitality looks like and for us to practice God's presence. We are moving to that place where God is calling us to practice his presence with those who are excluded from society, excluded from communities, alienated from the life of God, isolated from relationship in order to grow in our work of holiness. To be ye holy as God is holy means that, yes, we are set apart and we are yielded fully to God while also being fully involved in the work that God has called us to. Paul would say it like this to the Roman church that he beseeched the people on behalf of the mercies of God to present themselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing unto the Lord, which is our reasonable service. God is separated and set apart from sin. He hates sin. To be in his presence means sin must be eradicated from our lives and from our presence. But it also means that God in his holiness abides and he dwells with us through Jesus. He abides and dwells with those who have no power to express the reality that he is holy and he is good and he is righteousness and he is free from sin and evil. This is a call church this is an opportunity for us to grow in what it means for us to be holy as our God is holy let's pray father I thank you for this moment Lord I even confess now the ways that we have practiced or disregarded holiness as if this is not what you called us to we confess even as a church, God, the ways that you provided opportunity for, opportunities for us to bless our neighbors, to walk with them as an extension of your presence in the world and how we have neglected our call to be the body of Christ, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Lord, you are holy. And I pray, Father, that you and your grace and your mercy would you move us to a repentance that is not just remorse and remorseful around our neglect, but you move us towards an active obedience that by your spirit, by your grace, that we would learn what it looks like to love our neighbors well through proclaiming the gospel in word and in deed and through presence. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would be with us, God, and I pray that you would establish us, establish our presence among one another, and through that, we would be present in the community, in the places, and you would give us discernment as we walk in obedience on how your spirit is moving and leading us to serve those that you've entrusted into our care. Lord, we thank you for your work. 
We thank you that you are working even if we're not aware of what you're doing. And I ask God that you would fill us with your holy presence and you would move us into a loving and a joyful and a worshipful obedience based on who you are and what you've done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.